church and the ordinances is what we've been talking about. We covered best we could last week baptism and uh, looked at what the Bible said about baptism. And uh, tonight we will uh, go to the second ordinance, which is that of the Lord's Supper. And uh, in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Verse number two, just glancing at that, and then we'll get down a little bit further. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now that phrase is really important as I delivered them to you in chapter 11 and verse number 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. And he introduces and teaches on the Lord's Supper. It does the same thing in uh, chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, talking about the death, burial, and resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, but um, we're going to continue tonight with that of the Lord's Supper. Uh, encourage you again to you know, take notes, uh, write these things down. Uh, these these types this type of teaching is uh, drastically important for the future of our church and uh, for many years fifty five plus years right um, the Lord has allowed our church to hold to good doctrine but that's because it's been taught and taught and taught and stood for and stood for and stood for and we can't take it for granted all right and uh, so I encourage you uh, now if you could get up and share these things i'll give you a pass i guess uh but uh, if you can't i encourage you to write these things down all right uh but uh, the lord's supper baptism uh, some have called the initiatory uh ordinance it's the first thing a believer does as an act of obedience uh the lord's supper is a continual ordinance uh, in other words baptism is done once a scriptural baptism uh and the lord's supper is done repetitively over and over again continually um, they both are gravely important uh, baptism is to keep the church pure from without the Lord's Supper the Lord gave us to keep the church pure from within uh, baptism protects the church from some joining the church and bringing false doctrine, a false Christ, um, you know, the, we will only accept someone to be a member has to be scripturally baptized, they have to be saved, and then scripturally baptized, and, um, and so someone comes and says they're baptized in the, you know, on fire church uh, down the road, um, you know, we would not accept that baptism, because with that on fire church is going to come a lot of false doctrine too, and uh, it helps keep the church pure. Um, in uh, from without, but the Lord's Supper is within. And I'm going to give you a few things. I'm going to go as quick as I can, all right? But these things are drastically important, so let's, let's move quickly. 1 Corinthians 11 is kind of referred to as the Lord's Supper uh, chapters. A lot of teaching on the Lord's Supper here. Uh, so we'll primarily be here, but we will go back and forth. But if we turn somewhere else, make sure you put something right here. We'll come right back. Number one, let's look at the principle of the Lord's Supper. The principle of the Lord's Supper. Um, what's it all about? Uh, I will say this real quick. The Catholics have a different belief than what we do. Uh, the Catholics believe in a false blasphemous teaching called transubstantiation. 
if you don't know what that is, good for you. Um, and may it stay that way. Uh, but now what it is, um, it's they believe um, that the priest will say some Latin phrase and the bread and their, and they use wine, uh, but the bread and their cup will actually turn into the actual body and blood of Christ. That's blasphemous. It's evil. It's cannibalism. Um, uh, it goes against Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 10 and 12. Uh, the, the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross was once and for all. And uh, his sacrifice was complete, all right? Leviticus and other places forbid the drinking of blood. And, uh, and so to follow their Catholic belief, they would have to go against what other scriptures in the Bible. And listen, if we have any contradictions in the word of God, then we don't have anything, all right? Uh, but it's cannibalism, it's disgusting, it's gross, and it's blasphemous, and, but that's what they believe. And it's based upon John chapter 6, where the Lord uses a metaphor and uh, talks about, uh, you know, basically eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It's a metaphor. Uh, and, uh, and basically, if you want to take that seriously, then you also, as seriously as in it's absolute and what he was saying, then he's also a door. He's also a gate. Because he also said, I'm the door, right? He's also a gate. Um, you know, you say that, that's foolishness. It is, all right? But they, they want to take that and run with that, um, and it, it's a it's an unscriptural teaching, um, and it's you know disgusting in many ways too. Uh, and they'd also have to take as uh, uh, when the Lord said to Peter, "Get thee behind me, Satan." They'd have to mean that if they're going to take it like they want to take that verse, then they also would have to say Peter was Satan, which really is a hindrance to the Catholic faith. <laughs> if Peter's Satan. Never mind. All right, so anyways, all right, uh, transubstantiation is a Catholic. The Lutherans hold to something called consubstantiation. Um, it's, you know, they just, they, they don't take it quite as far. They believe after a prayer that, uh, that it's still bread and it's still a cup, but mystically it is also the body and the blood of Christ. Um, and they just, that's what Protestants do. But uh, my point is this, in 1 Corinthians 11, I want you to see this in verse number 20. It says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. In the previous chapter, in chapter 10, and in verse number 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. It's the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's table. And that's a very important principle as we get going here, right? This is the Lord's. It's not man's. It's not a denomination's. It's not the church's table. It's the Lord's. All right? Which means that the Lord has the right to give us all the specifics. It doesn't matter what I think or what my, I, I, I think what the Lord thinks, but uh, it doesn't matter my opinion. It doesn't matter your opinion. It doesn't matter what we may humanly uh, rationalize in our heads. What does God say? Because it's the Lord's Supper, it's the Lord's table, and so whatever he has said about it is what it is to be. All right? Uh, so what is it? What's the principles of it? Why do we have the Lord's Supper? Uh, I got six of them real quick. Number one, it's an act of obedience. All right? In chapter 11, verse number 24, uh, it says there, uh, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do. 
Same thing in verse number uh, 25. This do. It's an act of obedience. God has given us the command to partake in the Lord's Supper. This do. Now, I say that because, again, and I always reference this, but first time I was pastor and I, you know, we were going to have the Lord's Supper, I preached pretty hard on taking it unworthily. And, uh, and when we were done, it was like a third of the church didn't take the Lord's Supper. And I realized, okay, I didn't preach that right, right? Uh, because it's a command to do it. You say, well, I just don't, I'm not sure I'm right. Then you get right and you partake in it. Right? It's, it's not something to say, well, I'm just going to bypass this time. No, you get right. That's the whole point. It's purity within the church. And, uh, and if we have to, and that's what this chapter ends with, if we have to, in verse number 33, we will tarry one for another. You say, well, I realize I'm not scripturally baptized. Then we'll wait, and we'll get scripturally baptized, and then we'll partake. Well, I have ought against a brother. Then we'll stop. We'll let you get right with each other, and then we'll go on. All right, because the point of the Lord's Supper is not to skip it because you don't feel like you're ready to take it. It's to get right. All right, it's an act of obedience. Secondly, it's an act of remembrance. Again, in verse 24 and 25, this do in remembrance of me. It is to be a reminder to us of, of the, the, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken and shed for us. It is an act of remembrance. It is an act of praise and thanksgiving. In verse number 24, uh, 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 it says, And when he had given thanks, he break it. And likewise with the cup. It's a time of praise and thanksgiving. We will be observing the Lord's Supper, Lord willing, in a few weeks. And understand, you know, when it is a time for us to, uh, it's a matter of obedience and remembrance, but also praise and thanksgiving. An opportunity to give God thanks for his son and what he did for us. To praise him for the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us. It is a time of praise and thanksgiving. It is also an act of testimony. In verse number 26, as often as you drink this bread or eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. It is a testimony, a testimony of our belief that we believe that Christ died for us, his blood was shed for us. It is a act of, a, a, an act of testimony that we believe this. In the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ it is an act of examination. In verse number 28, an act of examination. But let a man examine himself. We'll look at this more in just a little bit. But it's a, an opportunity for us. That's why we announce it weeks ahead of time. Because it should be a time of examination when we take a deep look within ourselves. And asking God to search us and cleanse us and show us our faults that we might get right with him and get right with the Lord, get right with church. Uh, it is number six, an act of communion, an act of communion. In chapter 10 and verse number 16, just glance at that real quick. The cup of blessing, chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the, com is not, is it not the communion of the body of Christ. It is a time of communion. It is a time of uh, this uh, unity with the Lord and us making sure we're right with Him and with each other, the church. It's a time of communion. It's a time of fellowship. If, and, I, and I use that term in this, that a complete unity. That's why we have uh, the, one of the Lord's tables to be also a, a, an act of communion. And uh, the devil's already been fighting that. And, uh, and he, always, he always strives to fight this. Because the devil wants there to be divisions and heresies. And uh, the, the observance of the Lord's table for us as a church should be a time when 
we get right with God, we get right with each other, and we are all in one heart, one body, direction of one spirit, to observe the Lord's table and be rejoicing in all these obedience, remembrance, praise and thanksgiving, testimony, examination. It should bring the church together, centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see the principles of the Lord's Supper. Number two, the partakers of the Lord's Supper. Now there are three teachings um, when it comes to the Lord's Supper. The three teachings are uh, those who will hold to what's called a closed communion, where the Lord's table is for the church members only of that church. There is some teaching what is called close communion, Basically, they say of like faith. Uh, basically, it's a denominational teaching. As long as you're a Baptist, you can take it. And then there's open communion, which basically, hey, if you love Jesus, go ahead and partake with us. Um, two of those are wrong. The Bible teaches, right? And I'll say this. It's what the church has always stood for, and I'll do my best to explain it in these next few minutes. It is a church ordinance. It is for the members of the local church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's some in this text for the Lord's Supper. You can just glance down at verse number 17 and look at these verses, right? I declare unto you, I, I praise you not that ye come together. Verse number 18, when ye come together um, in, in the church. Verse number 20, when ye come together, therefore, into one place. Verse 22, what, have you not houses to eat and to drink, uh, or despise you the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you, and as I praise you not? Uh, verse number uh, 23, for I have received the Lord that which also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took the bread. And that's something for us to keep in mind, and we'll talk about in just a second. Verse number 33, wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. Um, the, when, they, when they gather together, as that's what a church does. It's a local called out assembly. And when we gather together and we come together, now some will, if, I, if that was the only thing I would say, someone would say, well, yeah, the believers all come together. Well, just stay with me, all right? The book of Corinthians, uh, both of the letters were written to the church at Corinth. In chapter number 11 and verse number 2, it was told to the church at Corinth, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. The church is to keep the ordinances. The Lord's Supper, and let's take a step back. I read the verse with the Lord the same night in which he was betrayed. When the Lord gathered, look over in Mark chapter 14 real quick. And we'll come right back there, right? Mark chapter number 14. Mark chapter number 14 and verse number 12. Mark 14 and verse number 12. Says this, and the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Wherewith thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he tells them what to look for, and they gathered together in that upper room. Look at verse number 16. His disciples went forth, came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. It matters, and this is one of those things, you know, people call this a non-essential doctrine. When did the church start? Well, that's an essential doctrine. The church started with the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. 
When he gathered here and instituted the Lord's Supper, he did it with he and the twelve. Those were the only ones present when the Lord administered this first Lord's Supper. Amen? That's what it says, right? Verse 17, in the evening he cometh with the twelve. According to Acts, you know, it's turned there, but in Acts chapter 1, there were at least, and we could probably expand this, but there were at least 120 believers in Christ. At least. But when the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, he gathered with the church. And according to the word of God, when he, the Lord gave the church, he, he, the first members of the church were the apostles. And he gathered with the apostles, and he instituted the Lord's Supper. There were many other believers, but that's what the Lord did. And we know that this was with the church. Look over in Matthew chapter 26 real quick. Matthew chapter 26. And in verse number 30. Matthew 26. And we always try to close our observance of the Lord's Supper in the same way. Matthew 26 and verse number 30. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So after they observed the Lord's table, and this is the only recorded time in the Bible that Jesus sang. I'm sure he probably, I, I don't imagine he did other times. But this is the only time. And he sang with who? Who's he singing with here? The disciples, right? And, and which it was the church. And in Hebrews chapter 2, and in verse number 12, turn there real quick, Hebrews chapter 2, and verse number 12, it says this, Hebrews 2, 12, all right, it says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Well, the only instance when the Lord is singing is with those disciples, and the Hebrews 2, verse 12 says that group was called a what? The church. Amen. I'm just saying all this to say this. When the Lord instituted, it was just with the twelve. There were other believers. There were ladies we know. There were others. And, but he started it here and instituted it with the church. And I'll go on and I'll build on that in just a second. All right? But the partakers, again, we, don't, we do not believe in an open communion or a close. Because that Baptist temple has stood by God's grace, will continue to stand on a closed communion stance because of these things and point number three, the participants in the Lord's Supper. How should they come? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. How should they come to the table? Look at verse number 27 in 1 Corinthians 11. Everybody still with me? Amen? All right, good. All right, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, there are some words in this passage right here that I think are good for us to stop and consider in the teaching of the Lord's Supper. This first word that I want to look at here is that word unworthily. And the first time that I preached on the Lord's Supper, really, this is 19 years ago, but uh, we hammered that word really hard. Because, you know, we want a pure church, and, and absolutely. Uh, but the word unworthily there, mom's going to be proud of me here, right? But the word unworthily there is not an adjective. It's an adverb. That makes a big difference. Because none of us are worthy. 
I am so unworthy on my own, my deeds, my flesh. I know me. It's not about me being worthy or not, all right? It's how we approach the table, how we partake, all right? And what it's talking about is that it matters how we partake in the Lord's Supper. And the context here and what Paul is teaching is that there were those in the Corinthian church who were approaching and partaking unworthily and that they were making it a feast. They were making it almost a party. Uh, they were making it to show off their spirituality. Um, and, and those things, they were not, as the Lord said, they were not discerning the Lord's body. When they were approaching this, and it's not, listen, the Lord's Supper is not a picnic. It's not a means of just satisfying our appetite and stuff in our face. This is a time of remembrance, a time of testimony and obedience and praise and thanksgiving and examination. And there were those in the church that were going to the table. They were not discerning the Lord's body. In verse number 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That Lord's body is not talking about his flesh and blood. It's talking about the church. This is a body. And they're not discerning the Lord's body. They weren't caring about the church. They were doing it for them. And when we approach, we, we, we should understand this is a, a church ordinance. They, the word Unworthily, I want to focus on that phrase, guilty of the body and blood. In verse number 27, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Obviously, all of us are responsible for the death of Christ. I mean, that's an obvious statement, right? He died for our sins. So what does he mean there? We're responsible, all right, the guilty for the body and blood of Christ. That, that body and blood, I believe, is a symbolic thing because the obvious is obviously we are guilty of that. That's why he died. But it's talking about the bread and the cup, which are the, the, the symbols, again, in, in what we read in chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, of the communion that we are to have with God and with each other. And when we take it unworthily, we are violating this command. And we are guilty of the body and the blood. Uh, it is also the word examine in verse number 28. But let a man examine himself. A par participation should be preceded by self-examination. We should judge ourselves in verse number 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. Uh, this should be a time of self and personal self-examination. We should be looking at our own life, asking God to search us, to see if there are any faults and the, the wicked ways within us, that if we've not repented and gotten right, that we will get right. Amen. And we should look at that. But also in verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Listen. If we refuse to judge ourselves and we continue in known sin and continue in those things, it is a church's responsibility to approach things in a church discipline format. When we search ourselves, what are we asking? When we're examining ourselves, we should say this. And listen to these next two statements. This is why we examine ourselves Is my life a betrayal of my Savior? This is where we're putting examination and the guilty of the body and the blood and, and, and unworthily. Is my life a betrayal of the Savior? Are there things in my life, 
Christ died for these things because of these wickedness, but I'm doing it anyway. Is my life a betrayal of my Savior? And if we can sit there and and know there's known things in our life that aren't right, and know that Christ had to suffer and die, and his body was broken, and his blood was shed for those things, and we say, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. We're asking for the judgment of God. So when we examine ourselves, we're saying, is my life a betrayal of my Savior? And also we're asking ourselves, is my life a betrayal because we don't discern the Lord's body, is my life a betrayal of the unity of the church? Is my life a betrayal of the unity of the church? In other words, you know, if, I'll pretend on something completely foolish, right? If uh, my, I'll use my mom, right? She can't stay mad at me, right? If my mom, right, were to all of a sudden, you know, dumb at this King James Bible. It's ludicrous, right? Uh, dumb at this King James Bible, and I'm going to start drinking. Right? We might not even know about that yet. She's not, right? But even if we didn't, part of this, the Lord's Supper, is she saying, is my life a betrayal of my Savior? Christ died for sin. And her to go on and get drunk and live a intoxicated life is wickedness according to the word of God. For her to continue doing that is a betrayal of her Savior. For her to take the word of God and go to some corrupt incorrupt, I'm sorry, corrupt perverted version of, 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 of scriptures in the beginning was the word, words with God, the word was God. And for her to go to some wicked writings not only is that betrayal of her Savior Look at this. It's a betrayal of the unity of the church. Because the church believes in a pure word of God. Amen. The church believes right, that sin is sin. Fill in whatever blank you want there. And look at me. If your church preaches and teaches doctrine and you would look at these things and say, I don't want to do it. You are not discerning the Lord's body when we come together. This should be a time of great unity. Now, we're not going to cross every T and dot every I. I get that, right? You may not like blue dress shirts, right? I don't care, but I'm talking scriptural things. If it's preached from the word of God, I don't preach on the color of dress shirts. I mention a lot of examples, but I don't preach on it, right? But if it's preached as a doctrine and there are no non-essential doctrines if it's preached on and believed on in the church you better be careful about saying I don't want to do it as a member of the church we should take that with great gravity right uh, there should be an examination also the word damnation uh, there in verse what is it 29 for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Again, now we know, you know, there is for the lost, unsaved, damnation is an eternity in hell, the lake of fire. But obviously, this is not talking about 
in eternity in the lake of fire. This damnation is referring to the divine judgment of God. Because once saved, you're always saved. And, uh, you know, you, if you don't not re regard the body of Christ and, and, you, and you, you partake in a blasphemous way, all right, the Lord's Supper, you're not going to lose your salvation. Now, you shouldn't observe the Lord's Supper in a blasphemous way, but no one can lose your salvation. That's clear in the Scriptures. So when it says damnation here, it's talking about the divine judgment of God and those who would eat unworthily. Again, you're not going to be sent to hell, but you are bringing the judgment and the chastening of God upon your life. And you're bringing that chastening hand upon the church. For this cause, Paul said in verse 30, Many are weak and sickly among you. Many sleep. There were those who were sick. Those who had died because of the chastening hand of God. So again, I go back. You say, well, I still believe, you know, Lord's Supper. It's just, listen, there's zero pride when I say that we believe in closed communion. I do not think our church is superior than any other of the Lord's churches. Nope. Let the facts be told, right? Don't believe that at all. I'm not snobbish if someone comes in and they love the Lord. And, uh, you know, I've had my, some of my best friends in the auditorium and we've observed the Lord's Supper. And they know and they believe. It's kind of reason they're my best friends. Uh, but, you know, they don't believe in it either. But, but uh, the, the fact is this. It's not snobbish. It's not prideful. It's about church purity. You see, but it's not very loving. It's not my table. It's the Lord's table. It's about keeping the church pure. Because if someone comes in, Brother Woody was visiting with us this past Sunday night. I love Brother Woody. He has become a friend. I'm thankful for him. If we had observed the Lord's Supper Sunday night, he would not have partaken. I believe he believes that way too, right? But even if you know, he believed otherwise, he said, but he's a good man. I believe he is. But how many of you know that he's not under church discipline? Well, he's a good man. I believe it too. But I don't know. I can't be sure. How many of you know he's not changed any doctrines and believes in any heresy? I don't, I don't believe he has. But I can't be sure. And if the purity of the Lord's church is on the line here, I'm not going to take chances. And nor should you want to. You say, but I'm pretty sure they are. I'm pretty sure they are too. And Brother Woody's an easy example to use, but if some other believer walks in, you don't know, and I don't know. I didn't say, I'm a member of an independent Baptist church. Awesome, but I do not know their spiritual state. I don't know their lifestyle. I don't know their doctrine. I don't know their baptism. Amen. I don't know those things. And if God's going to require, ready? If God's going to require that when we meet and come together and we partake, that it not be done unworthily, 
and I and some men are administering this and the church is doing this, it's not fair of God to say let everybody take it. But I'm going to be responsible and this church is going to be responsible. It's not fair. We should all let them. I believe that's what God teaches. Then God's not fair. He said, that's a harsh statement. Of course he's fair. Of course he's just. But if I would be held responsible for that, you say, well, they'll be held responsible. Well, this is all about the church and many among you. And so if the participants, you know, have to have that right doctrine and know, and I'll get into the heresies and all this stuff in a minute, but you and I must understand that we, we have this, there is a strong, that word damnation is a strong word. I mean, that's a strong word. The reason why it's, you know, in the world used as a curse word is, is because basically anyone who says that is putting themselves in the place of God because only God can damn anything. I'm not being blasphemous. Only God can damn. And so if anyone uses that word and they are damning something, they're putting themselves and elevating themselves in the place of God. That's why it's blasphemy. That's why that word is wrong, right? We don't use that language. And here God uses that word that there will be divine judgment. There's another word I want to look at is in verse number 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions. One of the prerequisites for examining, uh, sorry, for taking the Lord's Supper is that we, we should examine ourselves, obviously as individuals, but there also should be a church examination. A church-wide examination. Are there divisions? Divisions in a church are always a result of carnality. And unity in the church is a prerequisite for observance. In 19 years as pastor, there has been, I, I know of one, maybe I, if I stopped and thought about it, just, I didn't stop and think about it today, but one that I we we didn't we stopped and we waited because I knew there were divisions and if there's divisions like tonight we could not partake because before the service two church members they got in a spat just to tell you the truth. <laughs> They need to get right with each other. Amen? And I talked to them. And I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. I hope not. But if we were scheduled to observe, we wouldn't tonight until those people got right with each other. I know it's really quiet. It's kind of a, you're like, whoa, that's heavy. This is what we're talking about. I'm not mad at anybody. But things need to be gotten right. If there are divisions, they need to be handled. And that's why we give weeks in advance. Here's when we're going to observe so that we can look at ourselves and at the church as a whole. If, if I got news that this is not the case, all right? But if I got news that Brother Eric Graham and Brother Tyler, they couldn't stand each other and they had words and red-faced and 
They haven't talked in a week and a half. We as a church should not want to partake in the Lord's table until that would be handled. Paul said it's wrong if you go to the table with divisions. Also the word heresies in verse number 19. For there must also be heresies among you. That is teaching that is contrary to the word of God. If uh, there are those that are teaching things that are contrary to the word of God and the doctrine that is true, right? those things would need to be rooted out, handled, and corrected before we observe the Lord's table. And how can a church open the Lord's table up to everyone who loves Jesus as long as you just simply believe if we don't know their doctrine? Again, I'm just showing why. Because a lot of times, a lot of times, there's a lot of prideful people out there, and I've heard, unfortunately, people get up and preach that we are in closed communion because, you know, and they come across very arrogant, and prideful. It should, matter of fact, the Lord's table should never bring out pride. It should bring out great humility in our lives, and a submission to the Word of God. But heresies, then in verse number thirty-two. It says, I want to look at the phrase, but when you're judged, you're, we, are cha- we are chastened of the Lord. We are chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. The church should judge within. And if there are things that aren't right, and we know about it, and someone is not getting right then the church has the responsibility right, to handle things under what the Bible teaches with church discipline. And we'll teach on that before our doctrinal teaching's over. But I give you an example. Again, look there at verse number 32 before we go. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the, with the world. Look back in chapter number 5 in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 5, there is this brother in the church that was involved in fornication. And this brother in the church says in verse number 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do with what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. One of the purposes, and obviously this man was church discipline. We know that, and there's a good ending. By the way, church discipline is for the purpose of restoration. We don't church people. Kick them out. Excommunicate them, right? That's not a biblical teaching. Church them is not in the Bible, right? Um, you know, but... The whole purpose of church discipline is is restoration. But one of the great disciplinary results is they cannot partake with the church with the Lord's Supper. They're not to eat. They're not to partake in that. And um, 2 Thessalonians, turn over there real quick, in chapter number 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, Verse number 6, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. 
Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would draw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after tradition which he received of us. One of the consequences of church discipline is that they cannot sit, again, I hope you've been walking with me through the teaching, in the communion together. The unity, that fellowship, and there being someone under church discipline is being chastened by the Lord. God's the one that will chasten them. Such a person, and we'll look at it in a minute, is delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so the spirit might be saved. We don't punish. We don't got to take them out and whip them with a whip and, you know, rub their nose every time we see them in the dirt of their sin and call them names and make sure that we do our best that they, they are just feeling, you know, just totally stomped on and we're going to teach them a lesson. They're not, they lose their fellowship with us. And I'll go all through all the other things when we go into church discipline and we teach it. But one of the great consequences of church discipline is not being able to partake in the Lord's Supper, which tells you how great a matter it is for the church. That God would have that as one of the consequences of church discipline. How important it is. How precious it is. But we are, again, back in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, there's a chastening of the Lord. Number four, let's look at the provisions of the Lord's Supper. Just be really quick. In verse number 23 and verse number 25, 23, 24, 25, I, 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 you can see that. I'm not going to read the verses, but there's two provisions. There's two. It's the bread and the cup. In Matthew 26 and in Mark, where we read already, when they instituted the Lord's Supper, they were there. First of all, they had the Passover meal. Passover meal would have been unleavened bread and for many reasons. And that same bread would have been used in the instituting of the Lord's Supper. And we too will use unleavened bread. Unleavened because leaven in the Bible is a clear picture of sin. In the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus lived a sinless life. And that bread that we are partaking of is unleavened bread because the body of Christ, which was broken for us, he lived a sinless and a perfect life. And that, that, those thoughts when we partake in the supper uh, and we handle that bread uh, should be thinking about the precious body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for us. It's a very humbling experience when we gather together and we take the bread and we break the bread before the communion. Um, in many ways, I wish that everyone could participate in that, but because when you think of what that bread represents and you're taking it and you're breaking it with your hands and you see it break into pieces and you realize that a holy God allowed himself, the creator of the universe, allowed man to be handled by him or him to be handled by man if it didn't break the scourge and the mock and the spit and the curse of it's a humbling experience but we use unleavened bread because the picture, he is a sinless savior. But also the cup. The cup, and we use grape juice. There is no scripture in the Bible where wine, the word wine at all, is associated with the Lord's table. Not even close to it, all right? 
It's called in the Bible the cup or the fruit of the vine. Um, it is red grape juice. Um, again, still to how they used to make and how they still make it to this day. They'll take those grapes and they'll boil the grapes. They boil the grapes. You know, Welch, Mr. Welch's, the whole reason he started making it is for church. I know if you knew that. It's pretty interesting. Uh, but uh, the way they, they made it in the past and make it now is, uh, now there's big machines now, but they will boil the grapes. And that's really important because it must boil off all of the any yeast particles and things because that left on there would allow fermentation to take place. So they boil the grapes, removing all the yeast and anything, uh, uh, you know, impurities at all. And then you're left with like this really thick, almost sludge that you would add water to, to make the grape juice. That's how they did it. That's how they do it now. But the point is this, it is completely pure. In the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ it is spotless, pure blood. Amen. So we use the cup and the bread. Number five, the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Verse number 26, the purpose. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. The Lord's Supper is to be a symbol, a way of us speaking and teaching about the broken body of the Lord, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, when I, and we handle that bread and everyone will hold that piece of bread in their hand, I believe it should be a reminder, a symbol of the incarnation of Christ. Christ came and walked among us. Uh, also, I, I think of the sinless life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he faced temptation, it's unleavened bread. He is pure. He could not, would not, did not sin. The bread is broken, reminding us of the crucifixion of Christ and how that his body was broken for us. The cup should remind us of the cost of our salvation. We are, we are bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The nature of our sin. Genesis talks about that the uh, clothes were stained with the blood of the grapes. And that, that, you know, if you ever see a commercial on good carpet cleaners, right? One of the things they're going to put is grape juice on the carpet, right? Because it, it stains. It covers. My sin was terrible. But his blood covered it all. And I'm thankful for that. Fellowship and around this cup. But the purpose of the Lord's is that a symbol. Then number six, the perpetuity of the Lord's Supper. The perpetuity of the Lord's Supper. In uh, verse number uh, 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Really simple point. But when the Lord's Supper was instituted, it has continued to be observed by the Lord's churches for over 2,000 years, or about 2,000 years, and it will continue to be observed till he come. Um, it also is a promise there, slidden in that, that the Lord's churches never went away. There was never a period of time when the Lord's churches were, were gone. They have continued observing the Lord's table and will till he come. 
and someday we're all going to eat with him. And that's what the Lord said, that he would not partake of it again until he eats with all of us. And what a day that's going to be, right, in that kingdom. The perpetuity. And then lastly, number seven, the planning of the Lord's Supper in verse number 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as often. The fact is this. Someone always says, how often do you have the Lord's Supper? When the Lord lays it upon the heart and when the church is able and ready. Again, if there were divisions, it would have to be handled. If there were heresies, they'd have to be removed. If there's sin, if someone was in the process of church discipline, we would not observe the Lord's table uh, until that process was over. Because the Lord's table is about the purity of the church. You don't have it. I, you know, every church can do what they want. We're independent. Right? We're independent. I don't think it's a wise practice to have the Lord's Supper every service because it becomes routine. It becomes repetitive. No thought goes into it. So I, I, don't, I don't go with that. Nor do I think it should be like once a year because I believe it has an a, a opportunity to become about a show more than it does an observance. But I think it should be done as often as the Lord leads upon our heart because that's what the biblical term is. As oft as you do it. If the Lord wanted us a certain time, he'd have told us. So it comes down to the church's ability and state. But understand when we partake of it, it's all about the purity of the church. We are in communion around the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so thankful for what he has done. Our sin his body was broken and blood was shed because of my sin, your sin. It should be a time that we examine ourselves and want to get right. And to the church, he said, keep the ordinances. And it's all about the purity of the church. Everybody see that? Which that statement itself points to the fact that it's for the members of the church. Because it's for the purity. Baptism, purity from without. Lord's Supper, purity within. And if a church is holding to those two doctrines, it will go such great ways to keeping a pure, without spot, without wrinkle, church to be presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave us those to protect his church. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for scriptures that teach us these things and Lord I just pray that Lord you'd help us and to study these things and to make sure we know and stand for truth uh, Father we love you and Lord we just pray that we would be a pure church Lord help us and guard that please in our lives and Lord if there's anyone here tonight that's not saved Lord let them come tonight accept you they heard the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ your son and his body that was broken for them Lord tonight would be a wonderful night to accept you as savior Lord, if there's divisions, heresies, sin, show it to us. Help us to be humble. Be willing to get these things right. In Christ's name we pray.